You know, I realize for some of you, it's been, you know, a huge challenge just to get here, right? Some of you parents were probably thinking on the way, like, you know, don't make me turn around this car, but then, like, you can't turn the car around, you got to keep going, and you've got kids in the back who are hopped up on Easter candy and a bunch of sugar, and so just that you're here is a huge accomplishment, and we're so glad that you are. Now, you know, some of you guys were probably sitting in the car waiting for your wives finally to get ready. Well, let's be honest, you're probably, you know, there's some guys out there that are like Pastor Jason who take an extra long time to get ready, and so you wives are probably waiting for your husbands to get ready. But again, we're just glad that you're here today. If you were with us at Christmas, you might remember I brought a few photos to kind of give some inspiration around the whole idea of Christmas pictures. Well, you know, I also realized because people are dressed up today that some of you will be, you know, doing some Easter photos even somewhere around the church. So here are a few that I thought were kind of fun that I found online. Eggheads, I guess. That one. (laughs) Here's my personal favorite. You know for sure that in like 15 years, she's going to be in counseling talking about rabbits. (laughs) So I want you to consider for a moment what you believe about God. What do you believe about Jesus? And even more specifically, what do you believe about Easter? You know, people today say a lot of different things about Jesus. And there's a whole lot of things written about Easter. So what do you personally believe? And how do you know what's true about him? You know, if someone were to put you on the spot right now, if we walked around with a wireless mic and we said, you know, tell us what you believe about Easter. Don't worry, we're not going to do it. But if we did, how would you answer And how did you come to believe what you believe? Now, some of you might say, well, I've grown up in the church. You know, I can't remember doing anything else. I went to Sunday school, confirmation. You know, so it's just kind of a part of my life. It's it's just what I believe. Others might say, well, I read a really good book that a friend gave me, and it answered a lot of questions that I had about faith. And others of you might say, well, I've got a really great podcast that I listen to, and, you know, it's really gotten at some of those questions that I have. Others, you maybe just say, well, you know, I believe what my spouse tells me to believe, so I just kind of do what they say. And let's be honest, some of you are, are sitting there today, and you're like, you know, I'm just here because somebody promised me dinner later on today. But I think many of us, we, we struggle with doubts and with questions, or maybe if we're actually honest about it, we don't know if we believe at all. Well, there's a guy in the New Testament named Peter, and Peter struggled with many of the same doubts and fears and questions that you do and that I do. Now, Peter, you might remember, was one of the very first guys to sign up to become one of Jesus' disciples, just one of his followers. He was all in. He had a ton of energy and excitement, and he was ready for the adventure He's the guy that's always jumping up and he's putting his foot in his mouth all the time, but he is all in. And they have three years of incredible ministry together and things are going great and suddenly everything changes. Jesus is arrested and he's put on trial 
and he's executed, he's killed, and he's dead. And Peter's world is turned upside down. I mean, Jesus was not supposed to die. He was supposed to come and save the world. And now Peter is trying to figure things out. Now, Peter also struggled with his faith, so much so that even before Jesus was killed, the night he was betrayed, Peter denied even knowing him three times. His best friend, he pretended like he didn't even know him. And so now Peter is not only facing the loss of his friend, he's struggling with guilt and shame, and he wonders if now he is simply beyond hope. But then three days later, everything changes again. Now a huge crowd of people were there to witness Jesus' death where he was killed in the most brutal way that's ever been devised by human beings. He was flogged, and he was beaten, and he was crucified. He was nailed to a cross. Now, if you don't know anything about crucifixion, you don't die from blood loss. What you do is you die from suffocation. You you just can't get a breath, and you run out of energy, and you suffocate to death. And then after that, You take a spear to the heart to finish you off. Now the thing is, after a crucifixion, executed bodies were just taken to the town dump and discarded. But not Jesus, because there's a man named Joseph of Arimathea, who's a really wealthy guy in town, who says, I want to take care of Jesus' body. I'll take it. I'm going to bring it to one of my family tombs, which is basically just a cave, and I'll give him a spot. It'll be sealed with a rock. And at least he'll have that dignity and that honor. And then three days later, Mary Magdalene and a few other women, they set out early in the morning to go and anoint Jesus' body, which is just a a regular thing that was done in Jewish burial customs. We need to time out for a second here. Because just this part of the story is evidence that even Jesus' closest friends and followers didn't fully believe he was going to do what he said he was going to do. They didn't fully believe he was actually going to rise again. You see, they had heard Jesus talk numerous times about how this was going to happen. He was going to go away, and then he was going to come back. He was going to die. He was going to rise again three days later. It wasn't new to them. They had heard him talk about this, but they did not believe it. How do we know that? Well, it's because these women are the very first ones to actually go to the tomb after his death. And when they get there, the rest of the disciples don't have lawn chairs set up, counting down from 10, expecting Jesus to come out. Not at all. They didn't think it would actually happen. They're hiding away in an upper room, wondering what comes next. They all believed he was dead. Dead is dead, right? There's no coming back. Except our gospel text from Luke chapter 24, the incredible story of Easter morning. And so it reads, very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. 
So they rushed back from the tomb to tell his 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But look at that next line. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. They hear the story and they still don't believe it. Now, some of you might identify with the disciples here. Like, who can blame them? Dead is dead. I mean, who's ever heard of someone rising again? And some of you women here are like, yeah, you men still are not good listeners today, right? This is just further proof. However, Peter jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. Stooping, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings and then he went home wondering what had happened. Peter is still trying to figure things out. He still doesn't necessarily believe Jesus is actually alive. But if you fast forward just a few verses, something amazing happens because suddenly Jesus shows up in the room that they're hiding away in. It says, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. But the whole group was startled and frightened, thinking they were seeing a ghost. I mean, they're trying to look at things logically here, right? If you die, you stay dead, so logically, it must be a ghost, right? And it goes on and it says, then he opened their minds to understand Scripture, And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. And here comes another key line. You are witnesses of all these things. Now, you need to understand the importance of this moment because it is the reason that you are seated here today. The reason we even know about a guy named Jesus, the reason that we come together and we celebrate Easter is because there were eyewitnesses who met the risen Christ. And they set out after this day to go and tell the good news to every single person they could all around the world. And it changed the history of our world. Now time out again for a moment. Because these gospel writings were written just a few decades after the events took place. And sometimes when you're reading them, you notice there are some random names given. Like today, we just read about Joanna, and we read about Mary Magdalene, and the mother of James. And, you know, it's kind of a nice detail, but why does it really matter? But you see, for the people who were reading this in the first century, as they were passing it around to their families, they knew who these people were personally. If they had questions about it, they could go down the street and knock on their door, say, hey, Joanna, I just read a story about you. Is it true that you saw the empty tomb, that you experienced the risen Christ? There were eyewitnesses to Jesus' resurrection. And after they went to go tell the good news, it swept across the globe 
And it became the fastest movement in history. And it's not just because Jesus once lived. It's because he is alive. And these witnesses didn't have an easy life as they went out to share the story. Many of them were persecuted. They faced great opposition. Many of them were martyred in the most cruel ways. I mean, how hard would it be to come up with a false story and have hundreds of people commit to it so much that they would, every one of them, give up their lives for it? It just wouldn't happen, would it? They saw Jesus in the flesh. They saw him cold and dead. Three days later, back with them. They saw him alive again, and they were so committed to that fact that they were willing to give up their lives. Now, even James, who is the brother of Jesus, believed that he died and rose again. Now, what would your brother have to do to convince you that he died and rose again? It's an amazing proof of what happened. Now, in the book of Acts, when the Romans are trying to actively shut down Christianity, in chapter 4, verse 20, this is what Peter says, we cannot stop telling about everything we have seen and heard. That's such a huge key. It's not just something they heard from someone else. This is something they saw firsthand. And because of that fact, Peter went from doubt and fear to faith and trust. Peter's life was changed. He went from doubt and fear and questions and uncertainty to faith and trust and a commitment to tell everyone the good news of Jesus. So how about you today? What part of Peter's story do you identify with? Maybe you once had faith and now it's faded away. Maybe you feel like you have too many unanswered questions and doubts to really believe. You know, some things just don't add up. The story seems too good to be true. Or maybe like Peter, you feel like you're beyond hope. Maybe you've made some mistakes. Maybe you're carrying some secrets with you. And you wonder if God even wants to hear from you anymore. Where are you at this morning? You see, what makes all the difference is the resurrection. Now, sometimes people try to argue about the resurrection, and so we need to look at the evidence. And there are a lot of different places we can go and examine the evidence for the resurrection. But the most obvious place to start is what about the empty tomb? How did the tomb get empty? And some people sometimes try to argue, well, someone must have stolen the body. You know, maybe it was the Romans, maybe it was the Jewish leaders, maybe it was even the disciples. But what you need to understand is that Pilate, the Roman ruler, put a garrison of soldiers around the tomb. A garrison were 16 huge professional soldiers watching 24-7. Four of them were on active duty. They'd have their swords drawn and a spear, and they'd be standing, while the other 12 of them would sit in a semicircle 
guarding the perimeter, and they would rotate all night long. Now, no one had a great motive to steal the body and actually have an empty tomb. It benefited everyone for the body to still be there. The Romans wanted everything to be done with. The Jewish leaders wanted it sealed away, and they wanted to move on. And the disciples knew that they were in big trouble and eventually were going to their own executions. In fact, Peter is said to have been forced to have to watch his own wife be crucified right in front of him for their faith. Now, other people then have tried to argue, well, maybe Jesus didn't actually die like he was pretending. Maybe he passed out. Maybe he fainted. But here's the thing. The Romans were experts at crucifixion. They knew when someone was dead. And in fact, there was a specific Roman law that said if you took someone off a cross before they were actually dead as an act of mercy, then you yourself would be crucified and killed. It was that serious of an offense. And so to be sure that he was dead, they pierced his heart with a spear. And scripture says blood and water came out of the wound. Now, of course, this is before modern medicine, but that is actually a proof of someone that is dead. Once someone dies, the blood starts to clot, and there's a watery serum that separates. There's actually medically verifiable proof that Jesus was completely dead. And so our other option is that Jesus actually rose from the dead. It's the simplest and most powerful explanation. So my question for you this morning is what are you going to do with the evidence? What difference does it make for you? What's holding you back from fully worshiping and trusting Jesus? What's holding you back from worshiping him as your savior and your God? What would it take for you to invite Jesus into your life? Now, I've had all sorts of doubts and questions in my life, and honestly, I still have them. But when I think about it, the most important things in life often require us to take a leap of faith. The more important something is, the more willing we have to be to step out into the unknown. I mean, think about it. If we always waited for every question and every doubt to go away, I mean, what would we actually accomplish? I mean, would you ever get married? Would you ever have children? Would you ever take a new job? Would you ever buy a new house? At some point, you have to make a decision to go forward with the evidence you have on hand. So I want to leave you with two things that Peter understood because of the resurrection of Jesus. Two things that absolutely changed his life and they can change yours. See, the first thing that Peter realized and he understood because of the resurrection is that his past no longer defined him. Remember, Peter felt like he let down Jesus. He felt like he was beyond hope. He denied his friends. But then he wrote a letter called 1 Peter. And in chapter 1, verse 3, he says, according to his great mercy, something's changed. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. 
Peter experienced great mercy. You know what? We no longer have to be weighed down by our sin and our guilt and our shame. We can receive Jesus' forgiveness. We can be made into a new person, a new creation. Our slate can be wiped clean. What if today you could be forgiven of every single thing from your past, everything you have done and said and thought? I mean, do you have any regrets? Have you ever used harsh words with someone and you regret it? Have you ever mistreated someone, intentional or not? Have you ever lied? And if you're saying, well, no, I'm pretty good, at least compared to everybody else. Have you ever told a lie, even one lie? Well, that makes you a liar, right? Have you ever stolen anything, even the smallest thing? That makes you a thief, right? Have you ever been angry with someone, maybe used angry words? Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount says that's actually equivalent to killing someone. It's that serious. See, the reality is every one of us is on equal ground. Every one of us is a sinner. Every one of us falls short. But Acts 10.43 says, everyone who believes in him will have their sins forgiven through his name. Jesus paid the penalty on the cross for every single one of your sins, past, present, and future. And he says, whoever trusts in him will receive this amazing gift of grace. Peter received that gift and it changed his life. How about you? Have you received that gift. Number two, Peter also understood that his future was secure. In the next verse in 1 Peter 1, he says, we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. Now think about everything we have in this world and how easily it gets old, it goes out of date, and it even spoils, whether it's our money or our stuff, or even our bodies, right? When I came out today to preach, I know what you were thinking. You were thinking, he must work out. No. <laughs> I'm sure that's not what you were thinking. In fact, if you knew what I felt like right now, after yesterday, we thought, oh, great weather, we're going to go for a bunch of walks and be outside. Like, my neck hurts, I'm sore, I'd rather be sitting down right now. You see, the reality is, I'm dying right in front of you. And every one of you where you sit is in the process of dying. It's the reality of being a human being. We don't know when, but every one of us, 100%, is headed towards death. It's a universal problem. So what's your plan? Now, usually death isn't something we like to talk about. Like, I'm pretty sure at Easter dinner, you're not going to talk about death. But it's something we need to consider. On the cross, Jesus defeated death once and for all so that we could have victory. He says in John 11:25, I am the resurrection and the life. Anyone who believes in me will live even after dying. Whoever trusts in him as their Lord and Savior gets in on this promise. Your future can be secure, but you have a decision to make. How will you approach your own death? Are you going to go it alone and try to figure it out yourself? Or will you trust Jesus 
and receive his promise that he's defeated death once and for all. Church, if you haven't yet trusted your life to Jesus, will you do it today? Will you ask Jesus to take care of your past and secure your future? Are you ready to cross the line of faith and receive all his promises? Or maybe you've been a believer all your life, but suddenly you feel distant. Will you recommit your faith today? Will you recommit your trust for Jesus? I'm going to invite you right now to bow your heads, to close your eyes, and to join me in prayer. God, thank you for loving us the way that we are, but also loving us enough not to leave us there. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for your resurrection. I want to take a moment now to lead those of you who want to receive Jesus as your Savior in a short prayer. You don't have to say anything out loud. This is just between you and God. God cares more about what's on your heart than using the right words. And if you want to agree with this prayer, just lift it up to God with me. Because today you can receive his forgiveness, his grace, and his new life. You can actually be certain 100% of your eternal destination. So if you'll just keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed, let's pray. Lord Jesus, I admit that I am a sinner and that I deserve death. I believe that you paid for my sins on the cross. I believe that you died and rose again so that one day I can die and rise again. Jesus, I'm putting my trust in you today and I want you to be my savior and my God. Forgive me of all my sins and guilt and shame. Heal my heart and make me whole again. Thank you for saving me in this moment and for forgiving me in this moment. From this day forward, I will try to follow you and listen to you. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me today, you are a new creation and you have every promise that Jesus offers. And the Bible says that when any person, even one, comes to faith, there is a party in heaven. And so we believe there is a party in heaven today. Now we would love to walk with you in your faith journey. And so if you prayed that prayer, we'd invite you to text the word believe to the number 21,000 and we'll be in touch. Text believe to 21,000. We'd love to walk with you. If you'd rather take one of the hello cards in front of you, fill in your name and email and just check the box that you'd like a relationship with Jesus. Our prayer for you today is that you have a happy and Christ-filled Easter. And we really hope to see you again.